0: Thank you, brother. Love you, man. Um, when I think about uh, my brother Mark, you know, being as busy as he is, the verse keeps coming to my mind there's no rest for the wicked. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Stevens Point. Welcome, everyone, here. Uh, I'm just so delighted to see you're working through this book, uh, 40 Day Spiritual Journey to a Generous, to More Generous Life. You know, it's important for believers to remember the story that we're part of. And sometimes we get disoriented with other stories. And uh, when you think about 4th of July, it means something to us. When we celebrate Christmas, when we have anniversaries, when we do a birthday, one of our kids or our parents or our spouse as we remember the day and we celebrate that person and it, we have those kind of times and moments so that we can reorient our lives to that issue and I think it's wonderful for us to take time as believers as a tribe of God's people to gather together and say you know what let's together think about these aspects of our lives particularly uh, in this day and age uh, in our culture to talk about and think about money in a way that isn't uh, Uh, with with secondary motives but just really just assesses this issue God how should we orient ourselves to this what what is this to be in our lives and so this morning in in context with that I want to talk a little bit with you about this issue of God's provision in our lives Uh, you know sometimes when when we talk about this people take offense when you talk about trusting God in the arena of financial living or your material needs because they think it's selfish they, they assume that we don't have the right to pray about anything except about spiritual stuff. And, uh, and that since God knows everything that we need before we ask him, Jesus did teach that, that God does. That we shouldn't ask him about physical things or financial things. But the question is, what if God really wants us to trust him in every part of of our lives I mean not just the spiritual parts when you watch and when you listen to Jesus it's obvious that the earth he sees it as God's province and everything that's here is because God wanted to make this a place of abundance and a place of joy and and he loves to jump into our spiritual or earthly stuff Catherine Marshall writes; she's a great author uh, she writes quote if we are to believe Jesus his father and our father is the God of all life and his caring and provision include a sheepherder's lost lamb, a falling sparrow, a sick child, the hunger pangs of a crowd of 4,000, the need for wine at a wedding feast, and the plight of professional fishermen who had toiled all night and caught nothing. These vignettes, she writes scattered through the gospels are like little patches of gold dust that say to us no creaturely need is outside the scope or the range of prayer End quote in other words God cares about the physical life he created the physical dimension and he loves to engage with us when we have need and what he loves to see us experience increase I remember the um, When I first came to Jesus, every serious believer that I knew, uh, we only talked about the spiritual stuff. I mean, stuff like surrender and sacrifice and giving up our lives for Jesus, for the cause of Christ, the deeper life, and that stuff's great. We used to sit around and muse about how cool it would be if we actually died for our faith. You know, we're just young bucks just saying, God, bring it on. We want to serve you. And there's something really right about that. And yet if that's all you talk about, it can get kind of dark quick. Uh, we never talked much about praying about God opening up doors for us for jobs or providing for us in some physical way we just thought you know we just make do with what we have and just be content and there's something right about that but we were kind of skewed to one side of the story we thought that faith was just about surrendering control to Jesus and that if he provided great if he didn't provide well that would be okay we'll die smiling right? That kind of idea. We were the uh, die-to-self-suffering kind of crowd, uh, but they created some problems because hard became a badge of spirituality for a lot of my buds and myself, and we all walked around looking as though we were in in a sort of a perpetual desert, you know, kind of dying of thirst, and uh, we were big on the deeper life, but things got so deep, it was getting harder and harder to breathe, right? Spiritually, we're kind of rigid. Uh, And I'll never forget when Gail and I first heard of one of our friends talking about this business of financial provision. And my first response was, oh, that's weird but they were praying about a house they, had, they, had, they were living in the St. Louis area this is in the 70's and they were trying to get a house, houses are really expensive in the area they were at and they could only afford a certain amount and so they told us you know we're standing on God's word I said well, what do you mean and they quoted that text you remember Philippians 4.19 it says and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious and riches in Christ Jesus and, I, and they said we're standing on that verse I thought come on that's talking about spiritual stuff but as I dug into it it really is talking about Material stuff, and they were trusting God for a house that they could afford, and and uh, I'm listening rather dubiously. And uh, uh, after they all of a sudden they got the house, and uh, and part of me goes stink, <laughs> right? I never had anything like that happen. And I remember looking at Gail and we lived in we lived in what we called the palace, and it was over in central Wisconsin. It was this little apartment, uh, up, uh, you know, it had it was a one bedroom apartment and all slanted walls. <laughs> Uh, there was one. <laughs> this is freezing, right? In central Wisconsin, it's even colder in here. So you get the lake, but uh, uh, you know it's freezing, and and uh, there's one space heater in the middle of the apartment. So in the winter, you sort of gravitated to the middle. Right? <laughs> the bathroom was in the. Uh, attic portion, uh, anyway uh, so we called it the palace, it cost us 80 bucks a month and we were just students and trying to survive and just newly married and we figured out we could afford $125, so I said, you know what honey if, if God's going to bless them, he doesn't love them, you know, he doesn't love us less Let, let's dare to actually, let's actually talk to him about it, I mean, let's actually take this promise and bring it to him and say God, we, we ask you for a house and so we prayed, we figured out we could afford $125 for a house and we had been looking at the paper for even apartments, nowhere near that. They're all really expensive for in that particular time. And uh, so we prayed for the $125 house about three or four days later. We looked in the, in the Marshall News Herald and there was a a house that was being advertised for $125. We thought, yes, it's our house. And we found out where it was. We went over the cute little house and we, Gil and I went out there and did a little Jericho march around it. If you don't know what that is, that is a sign of a good thing. You don't know what that is, but don't need to know. But the point is, is that we were excited about the house. And so we decided, we went over and talked to the lady. She was an elderly lady and, and she's looking at us and she's, well, I've never really rented to anyone so young. And I said, I said, you know, we would just be delighted to take this house. And, and while we were talking to her, there was a, a, one of the, a professor that was coming into town to the university there, uh, called her up and he said, you know, I'm moving to town. Uh, I noticed your house He's, and he offered her quite a bit more money for the house. She goes, oh, I never thought I could get that much for the house. And, and you know, your heart starts to sink. And I look at Gail and said, honey, this may not be the house, but God's got a house for us. And let's just thank him right now. No matter what happens here, we got our house. And uh, as, as we were praying, she was talking. And she, stopped, she said, well, you know what? She said, I like this young couple. So I'm going to give them the house. We're going, oh, baby. <laughs> and I, I, I can't really describe to you how we felt when that happened. I mean, uh, it, it was all kinds of a mixture of feelings in our, in our soul. I mean, we, 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 we were elated, uh, it humbled us, um, we felt loved and cared for, we, uh, uh, in a way we felt undone, broken by the fact that God Almighty cared about something so domestic, so common. And, and uh, uh, we knew it wasn't, the answer prayer wasn't proof of our spirituality. We knew <laughs> it wasn't some kind of badge of faith or badge of maturity. It was just a simple God story. And, and, and we felt kissed. It was, our, it was our first provision kiss from God that we ever experienced. And, and I, I, you see, when God provides for you, it impacts you spiritually. Uh, the Bible says that one spiritual result of God's supernatural provision in your life is joy. In Deuteronomy 16, it says, For seven days celebrate to the feast of the, of the Lord, or to the Lord your God, at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in your harvest and your work of your hands, and your joy will be complete. Somehow, when God blesses you, and engages in your life, your joy shoots up. You know, God is invisible. And there's a number of reasons why he is, we can't talk about this morning, but just every once in a while, even though he's invisible, he loves to show up in our lives. Not unlike the Goldilocks story, you know, where Goldilocks was there and the bears knew she was there, but they didn't, you know, they knew she was there because the porridge was messed with and the chair was messed with and the beds were messed with. It isn't until the end of the story that they actually run into Goldie, right? it's at the end well you and I don't run into God until the end of the story but he does mess with our porridge (laughs) and he does ruffle our beds and he does mess with our chairs and when you run into stuff like his provision for you you go he's he's really here and it, it, it instills joy in your heart and joy in your soul but there's more than joy when you trust God and he comes through for you with provision you you feel his love and you feel his embrace and it breeds hope for the future and uh, like he's watching your back and you don't have to fear you don't have to grovel like other people who don't have faith remember Jesus said that don't be like other people who have no faith but they're groveling see we don't have to grovel we don't have to freak out uh, God's provision fosters a kind of wonder and a kind of awe and this is the wonderful side of money there's a wonderful side to this story in Matthew 7:11, which is God's 7:11. 11 uh, if you then though you are evil, know how to give good stuff to your kids. How much more, everybody say, how much more? (laughs) Say it out loud. How much more will your heavenly father be able to give good gifts to those who talk to him about their lives? See, it's important over these several weeks as you're addressing this issue of generosity in your heart. The only way you'll ever go there is when you realize he's committing to you and to me to be engaged in this arena of our lives. It's sweet to discover God's really our Father and that He's our Father who will give us this day our daily bread. The the possibility of joy and worship and obedience and adventure and influence are all wrapped up in this idea that God engages with us. Guys in the Bible like Zacchaeus, you remember Jesus saw him in the tree and he came down and, and his heart was being all messed with and as a result he starts giving. The giving was the expression of his changed heart. Uh, It was a a new journey for him with, with this issue when he oriented himself rightly to the business of money. The rich young ruler had a shot at a new life by simply properly orienting himself and how he thought about provision and increase in his life. But he turned it down. But Jesus said that the human heart can actually be kept clean when you think right about this subject. The spiritual adventure of wonder surrounds money that surrounds money that's only possible when we possess money without being possessed by money. We possess it, it doesn't possess us. And it's when you get possessed by money that this whole subject turns dark. See money can be wonderful but it can also be deadly. And the warnings about money given in the Bible, they're really quite severe. Jesus said in Luke 6 and 24, Woe to you who are rich. And in case you don't think you're rich, in your book, uh, there, one of the pages in the book gives you a website that you can plug in your income and find out what, how, much, how wealthy you are in comparison to the rest to the, of the people in the world. And even if you plug in $20,000 a year, which isn't all that much money, you're still in the top 10% of the wealthy of the world. Americans, we don't really understand how wealthy we are as a people. And Jesus said, woe to people who are rich. He said in Luke 12 and 15, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, which is this longing for more. It's this, 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 this sense that you've got to have it or you won't be happy. He said a person's life does not consist in what a person has. We're in a culture that we're constantly barraged with the idea that we are only what we have. That if we're, you drive in with a Mercedes or you drive in with a Pinto, you're going to be treated differently. Somebody picked me up in St. Louis, Missouri a number of years ago in an old sort of um, uh, kind of a stretch of Rolls Royce. And he only paid $15,000 for it or something. He redid it himself. And uh, he showed up in a driver's outfit. And he said, just watch how people treat us. And <laughs> he put me in the back. I'm not kidding you. Everywhere we went, heads are turning. People, you pull over, stop somewhere. He said, I would bring my friends with me, take them out. I drive them. He said, we pull up. Nobody ever asks us who we are. And a lot of times, the, the, the owner will comp the meal. I tell you what, people think that you are what you possess. That's the culture we live in. Well, we as followers of Jesus, we need to be aware of that and not buy into that, right? In Luke or Mark chapter 10, uh, in verse 21, Jesus looked at this rich young ruler we just mentioned a moment ago. He said, one thing you lack. And it says that he looked at him and he loved him. I love that God loves us (laughs) and cares about us and gives us directions that touch stuff in us. He said, here's what you do. Go and sell all you have. Give it to the poor. Yikes. And you'll have treasure in heaven. But he he wasn't throwing them out on on a limb. He was saying, listen, then come and follow me. I'll give you the security you need. Sell your possessions. I'll give you a job. Come with me, right? Give what you have to the poor. What do you do with texts like this? I mean, uh, they're disturbing, frightening. Uh, The rich have no part in the kingdom of God. What do you do with stuff like that? And yet, we need to stop and we need to listen first. And then we can't, I mean, not rationale, rationalize it, not try to explain it. Just listen to it. Let it mess with us. Uh, Let it be a little bit uh, terrifying to us. It's okay for that to happen. One thing that pops up loud and clear when you listen to that, even though you're not sure where it all fits, is this simple idea. Money can be a threat to our spiritual health. It's a threat because it's not a neutral thing that we possess. It's not like a a car or a pet. Uh, The Bible refers to money that it has some sort of attraction to it that's spiritual. It actually refers to it as kind of an alternate, alternative God that vies for our adoration. That there's something about money that pulls on you, something about treasure, Jesus said, that pulls on your heart. Now, why is that? Because this business of money, people serve money the way they serve God, or the way they're supposed to serve God. And, and the reason for that is because money sort of transfers to its owner a certain kind of godlike features. When you have money, it's not like a dog. It, it, it actually influences you. It pulls on you. It's, like, it's like, a piece of, like a piece of radiation or something. You can't hold on to a piece of radiation without it messing with you. Money messes with us. And, and the way that it messes with us is it, it tries to communicate to us certain God-like features, like God is omnipotent, all-powerful. People that have lots of money start to feel like they can do anything. They've got enough money to do anything, like they're all-powerful because they've got money. God is omniscient, He's all-knowing. People with money, money starts to try to make you feel, you know, you, you have money because you know more than other people. And, and what you don't know, the more money you have, you can find out whatever you want to find out. Money will make you omniscient. Or God is omnipresent. He's everywhere present. Uh, money, people that have money, money starts making you feel, dude, you can go anywhere. You can be anywhere you want to be. You can have your presence anywhere you want to go. You can do it. See, and so this, this business of money, what Jesus tells us, he says, watch out, it will mess with you. You need to make sure, and, and so he declares to people, uh, the point is you can't be casual about money. We've got to talk about it. The first command of the Decalogue, which is the Ten Commandments, first command is in Exodus 20 and 3, you shall have no other gods in your life. You can't have something that draws you. You can't have something that possesses you. You can't have something that dominates your decision-making. Money qualifies as a rival God. That's why Paul warned in 1 Timothy 6, for the love of money will give you trouble in a huge freaking sack. <laughs> <laughs> the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Watch. Some people eager, eager, eager for money. You remember that uh, movie with the, uh, with the little creature Gollum? He wanted that ring. that ring. My precious. My precious, sorry. (laughs) All right. Some people eager for money, my precious, they've wandered from the faith and they pierced themselves with many griefs. That's what's so awesome about taking time to do something like this. Because what, what we're trying to do is say, look at, stop and think about this to make sure you're not loving money. To make sure that in your heart you're not piercing yourself with many griefs, that you're not wandering from the faith because instead of being influenced by God and his spirit and the people of God and the tribe you're part of and the life that we live, instead of being influenced by that and letting that inform and define us, all of a sudden money is pulling us in, making us greedy, making us lustful, making all that stuff. We're not influenced by that. God wants us free. Most preachers who overemphasize prosperity are completely silent about money's dark side. It's, it's as if they believe money is only good. That the more that we get, the better. Some even go so far as to suggest that prosperity is a sign of spiritual health and strong faith. Crudely stated their message is, if you love Jesus, you'll get rich. But Jesus never propagated that idea. He never said that affluence was a sign of spirituality. In fact, he tended to espouse quite the opposite. He said, for instance, in Matthew 19, again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Why? The kingdom of God is the influence of God. The kingdom of God is how God informs your life and creates and, 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 and sort of leads you in the day. Well, if you're not careful, it's hard because you've got a sense of omnipotence. You've got the rumor of omniscience. You've got the sense and the hint of of being omnipresent. And you don't need God's influence. You've got money. And Jesus said, watch out! No spiritual warm fuzzies about money there. In the arena of money, the biblical warnings are to be considered. Ephesians 5 and 5 says, For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy. Everybody say greedy. greedy. Greedy person. Watch, he parenthetically says, such a person is an idolater. But these people, they they don't have inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. What's he saying? It's not that you're going to hell. But what he's saying is you don't participate in the wondrous joy of the Christian life. Because you're locked into something that's influencing you that's different. You remember it was Jesus who said you cannot serve God and money. You've got to ask yourself the question, are you trying to? Are you trying to? See, God promises, even though this is true, even though there's a dark side to the money, God still promises to bless our lives, to bring increase into our lives. But we need to watch out for the dark side of this, even though he promises to bring increase in our lives. And how many of you are glad that he promises to bring you increase? (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, I love it. It says that, that God will provide for you according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. In other words, when he responds to your need, he doesn't just respond to your need. He responds to your need according to his riches, not according to your need. I used to go when I was a kid to my dad. My mom would drop me off in the front of the office. He's a, he was a, a medical doctor. And I'd go up, and, you know, a little guy knocking on the door wherever he was with the, uh, um, the patients that I keep knocking until he came to the door. And he'd peek out the door, you know, and say, well, what's up? I said, I need some money, Dad. Mom, Mom sent me in for some money. Well, he'd reach into his wallet, and he'd pull out, you know, he'd open it up, and sometimes he had, like, dollar bills, and he'd give me those, and he'd parse them out real sparingly. Sometimes he had a five, you know, so he'd give some of those out. But once in a while, all he had were 20s. <laughs> and baby, one time he had a 100. <laughs> and and he, he, he always met my need according to the riches in his pocket. See, God doesn't meet your need according to your need. He meets your need according to his riches and glory. and Which means and implies that God always overkills you with abundance. He always blesses you beyond what you need. I mean, God is just like that. I mean, look at the creation. It's like he's wild with excess. He doesn't just make one kind of fern. How many think one kind of fern or two kinds of ferns would have been enough? Maybe four. You know how many kind of ferns there are in the world? 14,000 different kinds of ferns. What was he thinking? <laughs> not to mention the the abundance in the universe i mean just through the just through the big dipper you know the little you know swatch of sky that the big dipper has uh, there's over a million they tell us galaxies not stars galaxies with all of them having millions of stars god is just like this wild he, he has i don't even think he has hundred dollar bills in his wallet he's just got a lot of stuff in there and he meets your needs according to his richness. But in order to make sure that you and I as followers of Jesus stay on the wonderful side of money, in order for us to make sure that we stay away from the dark, uh, the dark side of this, this, uh, money's idolatrous dark pole on our lives, there's a couple things we need to do. One is we have to learn to embrace the idea of stewardship. And secondly, we have to learn to live generously or live beyond ourselves. Stewardship means that we think God owns it all and when you think God owns it all when you think when that paycheck comes in that all of it belongs to God and that you're simply a steward it it, you, you you and you refuse to be an owner you won't be afraid to get more of it for him. You won't be afraid to invest it you won't be thinking you won't be afraid to think okay I got this much I wonder if I can make it bigger. I wonder if I work harder, I get a raise. I wonder, because you're, you're fighting for God. You're fighting for the increase to come. And, and secondly, not only can you fight without greed for more, you can live, learn to live in a way that's generous, in a way that lives beyond yourself. Generosity touches a nerve in us that nothing else does when you start entering into a place where you're trusting God and you're seeing increase and then you're committed to give beyond just yourself it, it messes with you we actually reflect God in a way that's very unusual in John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave Somehow, when we—and here's what I love most about giving—giving is not just a way that we reflect God. Giving is a way that we sort of radically defy the a resistance to the power of money to suck us in. I mean, here's money. We got it, and, and it's telling us, "Come here. Let me control you. Let me influence you. You've got to keep me. I make you feel safe, right? And you're there with the money. And then when you start trying to think about giving away, there's something in you that manifests. Are you crazy?" Don't give anything away. That wife just wants more of your money. (laughs) That church just (laughs) wants And you start manifesting. (laughs) But when you give, you defy it. You mock it. You snub it. You say, you're not in control of me. That's what's so awesome about giving because it's sort of, it, it's sort of your rebellious uh, uh, kind of way that you defy the influence of money. You defy the fear that you won't have enough. You insult greed, which is that impulse to acquire more and more and more, that, that you need more. It defies and, and, and frustrates avarice, which is that insatiable desire for wealth. And one of the historical de- seven deadly sins is avarice. You, you trash all of that. Money only becomes soul-destroying when we use it to taste omnipotence, omnipresence, or omniscience. In other words, you use it and you love the way it makes you feel. You seek power and position. It ravages the heart when you allow a longing for money to bind you up with fear or bind you up with greed. And all of that is obviated. All of that is kept at bay in the act of giving. If you really believe God owns it all and that he is the source and your provider, giving is a simple matter. On the other hand, if you believe that all you have is yours and you're unsure whether God has anything to do with getting it to you, you will hold on to it for, the, for, for dear life. The act of giving is the only place really, family, where exactly what's going on in our hearts gets revealed. That's why Jesus talked so openly about money and giving. When you start talking about it, honestly, when you think about it, giving, Jesus says, keeps your heart in motion toward God and away from this world, influencing and pulling on your heart. There was a, the scripture says in the Psalms that there are some people who live with only their heart in this world. And in a very real way, when you give, you're fronting that and saying, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to live for eternity. If something goes on in your heart, when somebody asks you to volunteer, uh, not just here, but at work, or somebody asks you to work harder, and you're saying, well, I don't don't get paid that much. I'm not going to work that hard. Those kind of resistances in you show there's something wrong with you. The Christian should be the hardest worker, no matter what they pay us. The, the Christian should be the biggest volunteer, the ones that take. Why? Because whether it's our time or our effort or our money, we're engaged because we can afford it. We've got God. Yeah. So, like, you know, yeah. on their free, you know, my kids, when we were little, here are my little kids. I mean, they're, they're tiny and, and, you know, just sitting at the table. And I remember I used to order salads and they used to love my croutons. And I love croutons. <laughs> And they would reach over and grab croutons off of my salad without asking. <laughs> Everything in me wanted to take the fork and stab their little hand. What are you thinking? <laughs> right, that impulse was in me to defend my croutons. But you know, something in me said, oh, wait a minute, I'm the papa, they're the child. I'm the father, they're the child. I'm the parent, they're the child. I can afford this abuse. see when you go out in the world and people are tapping you and people are pulling at you it might be unfair it might seem unfair but you always have to remember I'm connected to God they might not be I know the Lord they might not know him I have a father they may not know they have a father I can afford this in closing let me stand so you really think I'm closed stand up everybody Stephen's point not the other in the building let me quickly give you three things to practice for a generous heart. Number one is practice contentment. Be thankful for what you have. If you get more, do it for the glory of God. Smile because God loves to bless you. God loves to bring increase. He gives you hundred dollar bills. that's okay. You can get extra stuff, but just make sure you're not getting it to keep up with the Joneses. Make sure you're not getting it to, you know, and make sure you can live without it. I'll never forget one time God in my heart. I had gotten to a point I got this really cool car, a little Volvo car, it was so cool, so awesome. I was driving around, it was sweet. Time to sell the car, I sold the car and I was going to go get another Volvo and I remember checking in my heart, why do you want to go get another Volvo? And I'm thinking, honestly, I got to get another Volvo or people think something happened. <laughs> so I went out and I bought a Ford Escort, the, I mean st- stick shift, I mean the basic bottle. And I was going around preaching, going places, some of that. You know, people just look, look at me and they saw me in the Volvo. You know, it's a month ago. Look at that car. Look at me. Look at that car. Everything okay? I drove around that car. You know what I did? I could have afforded something else, but you know why I drove it? Just to torment myself. Sometimes you need to torment yourself. You need to remember who you are. You do not belong to money. You do not belong to stuff. You belong to God. Live content. Secondly, You need to make sure that you gratefully acknowledge God as your source. And lastly, commit to spending less than you make. You know what I found out? If you spend less than you make, listen, it's amazing. You start making money more. You actually have more money if you spend less than you make. Dude, this is fantastic. You can be a millionaire, right? But here's the thing. You spend less than you make so that you can say to God, God, where do you want me to be generous? Sometimes he'll tell you to this organization, parachurch organization. Sometimes he'll call you to be involved more in the church. I mean, sometimes it'll be in some other area, something. Sometimes it's helping your kids more. Sometimes the great, greatest gift you can do is go on a family vacation. And you're too tightwadded and you don't want to do it. You need to do it. You need to stop being such tightwad. Right? God, we pray that you help us to live a generous life. Help us follow you. Help us be God people, the tribe of God that don't get influenced by money, but rather control it for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. God bless you.